You guys, I don't normally like my birthday month. Last week, um, I shared that somebody purchased for my birthday a domain name, theokschurch.com, because it's my joke. My joke is like, it's just be okay. We're not competing with other churches. No church is competing with other churches. The church is competing if we're in a competition, and it's really not a competition against the gates of hell. And uh, so you can literally email me now at pastor at okschurch.com. And if you go to okschurch.com, it goes to the chapel's website. And then I come here today and someone says, hey, pastor, I got a gift for you. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I'm going to wear this to the gym. Uh, to Publix. I'm going to wear this with my pajamas. You're welcome, babe. Like this is it. Like, there were seasons of ministry where people would get me bacon gifts. Some of you remember those seasons? The bacon, yeah, I've got, I had so many bacon things. But this is like the next level of joy. Uh, I am the world's okayest pastor. It's because it's the double entendre, like, like just an average pastor. But also, because in church, we have that church-itis. Like, how are you doing? I'm okay. How are you doing? Fine, 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 finitis. We have finitis. And, um... It's okay that you're not fine sometimes. It's why we're here. We're not here because we're part of some elite, moral, superior club. We're here because we are broken and weary people who have a beautiful and incredible Savior. We're here because we are imperfect and Jesus was perfect for us. Uh, and today, specifically, we're here because we are studying Elohim, the spiritual beings of the unseen realm. What I love about uh, this series is that it's creeped some people out. We've talked about the divine counsel in heaven from Psalm 82, that it says that, that Yahweh, our Lord God, was in the midst of the gods, the Elohim. And we've talked about the spiritual beings that, that God manages, his spiritual family, and then humans are his earthly family. We've talked about the rebellions of spiritual beings. We've talked about what we call angels and what we call demons in the New Testament. We've talked about the throne room creatures that have weird faces. And today we're talking about the general concept of the most important of what the Bible calls an Elohim. If you're new and you're just catching up with us, if you see the word in the Old Testament, that's Genesis to Malachi, the word G-O-D, whether it's a capital G or a lowercase g, it's generally the same word or some variation of it. It's the word Elohim. If in your English Bibles you see the word L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all caps Lord, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh, and that is the personal name of the God of the Bible. You might have heard some other names. We sing songs. Do you remember that song, El Shaddai, for those of you who are Christians in the 80s? El Shaddai, El Shaddai. We have some uh, runners that are making their way. And did you do the run kit? Did you do the walk run over the 5K? Whoever planned a 10K over a bridge on Leap Forward Day, the worst human on the planet. So, if you have questions today, you can text them to 813-444-7170. And for a limited time, you can email pastor at theokschurch.com. <laughs> that birthday gift will never get old. Uh, I'm just not going to remind him next year, see if it auto-charges his card. Um, <clears throat> who is God today and what is he like? You can't have a series on 
Elohim and spiritual beings without obviously talking about the preeminent spiritual being, the one who created all and holds all together. We could do multiple weeks and months on who God is. So it's really up to you to study beyond because today we're, we are going to look at God general and then we're going to look at this strange figure next week in the Old Testament called the angel of the Lord. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. But for today, I needed us to almost recalibrate back to the very basics because we've done something with the Bible. We've, we've been Christianized and we just take things at face value because you grew up with them or you learned them. But let me ask you a very deep and profound puzzling question. Let's say an alien came to earth and you were asked to describe to an alien, what is pizza? <laughs> How are you doing that? Oh, this is not a rhetorical time class. How are you going to tell an alien? And let's say they just look kind of like Elon Musk, okay? So they look human, they're not lizard people. So if you're here and you're like deep into the QAnon lizard people theory, this is your cue, like we're going Elon Musk aliens. They show up and how do you describe pizza to an alien? It's food that you enjoy. Yeah, because if you're an alien and you land in like New York City, like why is everyone eating these slices of spear tips? Why are they? Okay, let me, let me really break this down. How would you describe Hawaiian pizza to an alien? Oh, that gets a response? Here, here's what, I'll give you one negative aspect. Hawaiian pizza, for those of you who don't know, it's a delicious breaded crust. And then you put the schmear of the maranara on there. And you'd have to describe all these things to an alien. What is a crust? How do you get bread? You'd have to describe and show them the plant. So it came from this plant. And nowadays, like this allergy popped up, it's called gluten intolerance. Okay, so people can't eat the grain from here, but in Italy it's okay. We don't know why big pharma. <laughs> anyway, now there's also marinara. Well, what's marinara? It's a tomato. You got to smash it up and cook it and add some garlicky goodness herbs to it. Maybe some oregano or oregano, yeah, as I call it in my house. And then you got to make cheese. And they say, what's cheese? Well, here's what cheese is, man. There's this big animal, 2,000 pounder. It gives birth to a baby and we go and steal that baby food before the baby gets it. And then we put it in a bucket and we cook it and then some Italian grandma named Nona can roll it in scalding water and it turns into the stretchy goodness. And then we shred it up into little bits after we age it. I don't know. It's kind of moldy, but not. And then we sprinkle it all together. Now for the Canadian version, you see Canadians mess things up. They had something called Canadian bacon, but they're just hijacking the good marketing that real bacon has. And it's really not bacon. It's kind of a gross knockoff. It's really just lunch meat that they've pan fried. And then this alien would be like, I get it. I'm, I'm totally with you. Okay, but it's still, it's still pork, right? Yeah, yeah. And then... Man, we went to the Philippines and Guatemala and Hawaii, and we hijacked this fruit called a pineapple. It looks like every haircut from 1984. And we chopped it up, and we put it on there with the cheese and the marinara and the oregano, yeah. And then we just ate it. And then you, you wouldn't, you'd be amazed, aliens. Half of the world looks at this pizza and says, abomination. 
the other half of the world looks at this pizza and they're like, blessings from the Lord. And the alien is like, who's the Lord? Now, it's, it's weird when you think about that little thought exercise. <laughs> because we do this. Christians notoriously will spew about Christianese. I was a victim of it because I didn't grow up in the church. And we all have a conception of who God is. And we all try to, to communicate based on what we know. There, there's, there's a problem with this. Is that if you ask a room this size of people, tell me about what pizza is, we're all going to give a slightly different answer. If you ask a room this size, who is God? We're probably all going to give a slightly different answer. But it's important that we, we understand this one concept. Um, this is a tree. Remember this in science class? We're doing a little science class today. I even have, wait for it, the periodic table coming up. Okay? So just Hootie, Chris, we're fired up. Okay, there's a, the three of us. Uh, this is a rings of a tree. And, and here's what we've done in mo most of modern Christianity. We read the Bible like rings of a tree. We, we look at it and we say, well, this verse is in Genesis and this verse is in John and this verse is in Romans. And if you don't know these books, it's okay. You're welcome here. We're not going to do Bible drills, although I know that Edwin is waiting for the day. He's, he's racing to whatever book. So if you want to have a race right now, you could race Edwin to the book of Nahum. On your mark, get set, go. Bible drill. Did you feel that? You didn't because Baptist joy is so small, but it's there. They were all excited. I got to just dig at you, my father-in-law. This is how we read the Bible when we read across the grain. And it's important to read the Bible across the grain. We call this systematic theology, where you look at the whole Bible and you, you look for a theme. Like, okay, this is what it says about God. This is what it says about the Holy Spirit. This is what it says about sin. This is what it says about forgiveness. And each ring, you synthesize passages from the whole breadth of the Bible so that you can try to deeply understand a topic. That's called systematic theology. Now, if you do systematic theology, here's what you'll learn about God. And this is not all of them, it's just some of them. Just like the Bible study that's online for the sermon study this week, I have us going through a list of some of them, but not all of them, because it depends on how you classify them. But God is eternal. He existed before and during and after all things. He has no beginning and no end. He is beginning and he is end in our realm of time. God is good. He is all-powerful. These are rings that you can study. You can see examples of God saying, I am all-powerful, and then you can see examples where he proved it. See, an attribute is something that God is. An action is something that he does based on who he is. In my numerous encounters with people of different religions, and even some Christians as well. Um, but specifically, uh, one, one of the offshoots of Christianity called the Latter-day Saints. I was asking two young men in a Verizon parking lot, like, why they believe theirs is true. And they kept telling me, well, I believe because I have a burning in my bosom. And I reminded them that they're 19 and they shouldn't use the word bosom. It's awkward. And, and they said, well, I believe it. And therefore, it's true. So I told this, these young men, and this is when my wife and I were early on in our relationship. I said, you guys close your eyes. I'm not going to assault you, maybe. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to believe with all your heart that I am a three-foot pygmy warrior. And they kind of, I said, no, no, believe it. 
and I want you to open your eyes and see if it's going to be true. Well, it's not going to be true. You're, it doesn't matter what I believe. You're not going to be a three-foot pygmy warrior. Well, you just told me that if you believe hard enough, then it makes something true. See, there are true things about God. And you may believe some of these. You may not. You may believe some of them in your head. You may believe God is good in your head, but it may not have made its way down to your heart because you don't trust that what's happening in your life is part of a good plan because how could it be there's so much wrong in my life right now? How could God be good? You might believe that God is just in your head, but then you look around and you say, how can these murderers, how can these thieves, how can these rapists be going about freely if God is just? There's a head and a heart disconnect. God is love. God is merciful. It's a, the list goes on and on. But what I need us to understand is that the Bible doesn't give us the rings out of the gate. And if you approach the Bible like a roulette table and you say, I want to learn all there is to learn about God is good. That, that can be a healthy thing, but don't ever divorce it from the pattern that the Bible set for us because that's where we are today in Genesis 1. You see, this is a sapling. And instead of looking at the tree rings only, we're going to look at both, the way that the tree grows. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, we learned something about God right there, the fourth word, in the beginning, God. And we take it for granted because we've said the word so much. But this is what God wanted his people to know. He didn't say, in the beginning, God is love, God is just, God is good, God is merciful. He started with a story. And that story grows from just the one verse and then the two verses about God and then the chapter and then the stories. This is, I think, an oak sapling. And it, it reminds me of my favorite oak tree. This oak tree right here, some of you recognize it because Andy Dufresne hit a box of money at the end of the rock wall where Red found it on his way down to Zewatanejo. Some of you are like way too young for this illustration. <laughs> if you have missed it, it's the Shawshank Redemption. It is the greatest movie of all time after the other great ones that we have to say are great if you're a nerd. Like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, they have to be up there. But by way of story, the Shawshank Redemption. And as the oak trees grow, they become massive. And as Christians, we don't just want to look at the rings of the tree. We want to see how God authored the growth of the story because it makes a difference. So we start today with the sapling. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So who was there in the beginning? God. He's already there. It's like that country song from Lone Star. I'm already there. Take a look around. I'm the sunshine in your hair. I'm the pollen on the ground. I think I made that last part up. Um, in the beginning, God created if we're going to get anything right about God, we should start where he starts. 
We should always start where he starts. And this is what's beautiful about this passage is that when God created the heavens and the earth, we're hearing it as Western cultured people. So we're thinking stars in the sky, moon, sun, stars, galaxies, and then planet below. But in the Bible, it is very clear, especially in the Old Testament, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created the space for spiritual beings and his spiritual family, and the space for his human family. And they overlapped in the Garden of Eden. This is what he is doing. This is why they're called the morning stars, the celestial beings that live in the spiritual realm. But it is important to think about the universe. I love stars. I love that God created the universe. I have a book called Universe on my little side table in my office. The universe, it's old. It's very old. Or if you're a very religious person, it just appears old. I'm not here to argue today. Some of you are like, the earth is 6,000 years old. Some of you are like, it is 13.8 billion. I promise you, you're both wrong. Now, according to what we know about science, which is very, very little, we can look at least we thought so until about a year ago, 13.8 billion direct uh, years that way, light years, 13.8 billion years ago, we could see light with a telescope. So we say, well, the universe must be 13.8 billion years old. And then a new telescope called the James Webb just found a galaxy that's at the end of that 13.8 billion years, but it's already such a huge size that they said, well, that, that galaxy had to have time to grow, so the universe must be at least 14.2 billion years old now. Now, God can make things fully grown. I'm not here to argue about this, but I am here to say this. If you read Genesis 1 and your first takeaway is the earth has to be 6,000 years old, you're missing the point of Genesis 1 and 2. See, God created the heavens and the earth. And then there's a moment where God is just looking around before day one. It's called the gap theory. But the universe, what's so remarkable about it, is it's undeniable, the size is massive. And we don't know, almost, we know almost nothing. We make up words to try to categorize things we don't know about the universe, like dark matter, like how gravity works, like is everything constant? Why are some galaxies shaped this way and others that way? Because God said, I have stretched out my creative powers. And God created all things. The farthest galaxy of the millions of galaxies that exist. And we are just one galaxy. And we are one solar system. In the midst of this vastness. Why would God create such vastness? Well, because it leads us to wonder and mystery and awe if you look up. Now, I am waiting for the day where I can boldly go, where no man has gone before. Because we need someone to answer some of these questions. That's where I learned everything I ever needed to know, the Bible. You see, when God created the earth was form without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and we see right out of the beginning here, there's a part of God that God wanted to reveal in the spirit of God. So in the beginning, Elohim created. And then right here, the earth was a rock and water. 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So there's a, a God big in the sky making things, and now the Spirit of this God is hovering waters. Before we get to day one, this is what God is wanting us to reveal. This is the sapling. God says, here's what I need you to know about me. I am creating all things. And what's amazing is that when John wants to write the, his account of the story of Jesus, he uses a mirroring language to this. He says this in, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. So in Genesis 1, we have in the beginning was God. And then we see the Spirit hovering the waters. John says, I'm going to tell you exactly what was going on. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. When God speaks, it is a part of his being that is its own personality. We're not going to solve the Trinity today, but we're going to get there. And the Word was with God. So the Word was with God, okay? So there's this being with God in the beginning. But in this being, Word, was God. So the Word's with God and is God. If this isn't confusing you, it should. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the Word, and he was there with God, and he is God, and he made all the things that you see around us. When the Bible says in this verse, all the things, he means all the things. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Like all the things. God made trees to pollinate. I've had to remind myself of that this past month. God made mosquitoes. Maybe. I think they might be a product of sin, deviated some insect into this hell mouth that we have today in Florida. But God made surely frogs and turtles and snails, all the cute ones, gerbils, right? God made snakes. Yeah, I have a snake in my house right now. My wife hates it. Bless you. God made sneezing to expel pollen. God made this. And all the nerds said, yes. We're going to go element by element. I'm going to explain to you the significance of each element based on God's creative order. Are you ready? No, because um, there's only really... I want us to think about this, conceptualize this. Um, there's particles that we've discovered. Uh, Subatomic. So there's an atom. An atom, you and I are made up of about 30 trillion atoms, give or take. I'm probably a few more because I'm a few bigger. A particle is smaller than an atom. Our scientists today, with the limited amount of science, are trying to discover what they can about particles. The most famous one, of course, uh, would be called the, the Higgs boson particle or the God particle. They're looking at particles that hold all things together, smaller than atoms. And here's what science has said. In the beginning, all there was were particles. And the particles got together and they were like, let's be neighbors. And the particles became atoms, nerds, electrons, protons, neutrons, okay? Some of you really paid attention. And then atoms... We're just a collection of particles, and they got together and said, hey, let's get this couple of atoms together, and let's make a molecule. And then some molecules got together, and they said, according to science, let's just hang out, and then we're going to make a cell, a living being. 
Now, what's amazing about all of these things is that allegedly the law, second law of thermodynamics says everything is, is degrading over time. But no matter how you slice it and dice it, if you look at human history, it looks as if there is a trajectory, there is something behind our universe that is moving it toward a goal. And there are so many things we don't know. But we talk about God, for example, being omnipresent, present everywhere. Did you know there's a particle that scientists have measured? It shows up for a billionth of a second and then disappears. And scientists don't know where it came from or where it is going. Sounds odd. Do you know there's a particle that goes from point A to point B? And scientists have measured this, but it never travels in between. It just is at point A, and then it is at point B. That sounds oddly familiar. I think I've read about a being who literally is everywhere. And the list goes on of these particles and the, the, the subatomic nature of these things that scientists are grasping at. See, but we're, we're grasping because we don't, want to, we don't want to bend the knee and say, just maybe there is a spiritual being who created a spiritual realm and an earthly realm, who created everything in the universe, who manages every one of the 30 trillion cells in our body who has been there for every sparrow that's ever fallen off any branch. <laughs> and we just think, we're all here by accident? Rubbish. We're here because God wanted to love humans. I have an example, just so you have it in your mind, of the type of person that God loves. 30 trillion cells. It's 30 trillion cells. Um, I, I needed a picture of someone running, and I thought Jared for sure has a picture of himself running in a Forrest Gump outfit. Um, and the main reason is because it's, we learn these things about God. And we underestimate him at every turn. We underestimate that when God created the universe, when God created physics, that he pre-existed them. We underestimate that when God created galaxies, including our galaxy, we underestimate the scope and magnitude of his supreme power. We underestimate the fact that God it knows every of the creepy fish and squid and amoebas squirming around at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. We, we misunderstand and we, we don't see the gravity and magnitude when it says God created the heavens and the earth, that he made mountains and he carved oceans and he made humans and he made complexities of our nervous system, but not just that, he made every star that's ever existed, that's ever exploded, that he is in charge of every tiny minuscule insect that is infesting the Amazon rainforest. That he's in charge of the way that people rise up to power and are brought down from power. 
that God is in charge of every single moment and lecture that is taught around the world, even if they're anti-God lectures. He is not up in heaven. He is not in the spiritual realm, helpless. And we have underestimated that this God has such an immense love for his people that he would say, I am going to, instead of sitting on my throne, leave this place and pursue down in creation in the form of one of these humans. And I'm going to give my life for them. We have underestimated the fact that our problems, when we pray to God, when we go to get prayed for, we're not just begging an Aladdin genie 10x We're going to the creator of the universe who runs molecules and atoms and particles. When we say, God, heal this person of cancer, we're saying, God, go down to the molecular level of destruction and death that this broken world has. And we're asking you to reach down into those cells and rip them from these people's bodies. When we ask God, to do anything in our life. We're saying God of creation. The reason why this is the first story is because he needs you to know that now in this life, we see death everywhere. And he is the God of creating life. He is the God of producing and creating things that are always good. The whole first chapter of Genesis, God made this, saw that it was good. God made this, saw that it was good. Genesis three, things go bad, but that doesn't change who God is. And we have underestimated this. I know we've underestimated it. I know I have underestimated it because the way I live. If you are living in fear, you've disconnected something about who God is. You might know in your mind that he's the all-powerful creator, but if you are living in worry and anxiety, you, something's disconnected. And I'm not here to tell you, like, shame on you for worrying. No, no, we all worry. The amazing thing about this story, if you're starting at the beginning and you're seeing this sapling, is that we have the spoiler alert of where the story goes. So when we say that God came in the flesh, we're saying this God, the creator God, came as the word, the Lord, the, the all powerful, all-knowing, all-present, walked in human flesh and reached out his hand to thieves, to prostitutes, to the tax collectors, to the religious people, to the broken people. And he said, I'm bringing something. And we are just here like, well, what is God, what can God even do in this situation? Literally everything. Whatever God wants to do, he's going to do. That might hurt some of you today. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. And you might be here today, well, what's going on in my life? How can this be pleasing to God? I don't know. But I know this, that as cliche as it is, and as much as this verse hurts, this is the verse that Christians give other Christians when you're going through the terrible day. Well, God works out everything for good for those who are called according to his purpose. True. Does that person want to hear that verse? Probably not. Do they need to hear it? Absolutely. Should you still say it? I don't know. But what we've done is we just turn God into a concept. God is love. Okay, how should I love? 
God is merciful. Okay, I need to be merciful. We've lost the beholding of God. I was talking to a funeral director who's here today visiting from Ohio. I feel like funeral directors are my people, okay? They got that whole sixth sense vibe going on. I see dead people. And, uh, and it fascinates me. I've been not sleeping. I've been praying a lot at night. And then I try to put on a YouTube video or something to put me to sleep. Um, I listened to all of Numbers this past week in one night. The book of Numbers. I thought, surely, Lord, you can torment me to sleep with Numbers. And I was just like, there are so many people in this book. It's a lot of censuses, stories. I want us to behold God like the people who are right at the end of their life. But even more, you have this ability today to combine this creator with the savior. Now we're looking at the rings. See, it's important. The, the rings show us the power and the themes, but the growth of the tree shows us the purpose. The purpose that God wants you to see is that he is unstoppable. When we sing unstoppable God, we're not just saying he's like a big train. No, I'm saying that nothing can stop him. I'm not saying it's unlikely. I'm saying nothing is strong enough. There is no force in all of creation, the spiritual realm or our realm, that can even cause him to take a hiccup on the tracks of history. I'm saying that he already sees everything from the moment that this universe was crafted to the moment that he destroys it and everything in between and around it. So when he says, I am your God, don't worry, I've got you. He means it. When I say it, when you say it, yes, we should clap for that. Because it's so hard to believe and this is where it gets beautiful for me. Obviously, I'm totally off my notes at this point. I'm unraveling. This is where it's beautiful for me. This God, this God in Jesus Christ, people say, I don't know if God can forgive me. My flesh wants to say, you're dumb and slow but I don't say that. Of course God can forgive you. Amen. People tell me, often, often they tell me, you, you don't know what I've done. And I'm like, I don't need to know what you've done. Because I've known some of the worst of the worst humans. And I know God could forgive them. So how in the world are you thinking that what you've done is more powerful than what the creator of the universe has seen and known? And then when you realize that the creator of the universe let himself be crucified, this is where it gets beyond for me. Because God starts in this story of saying, I need you to see how it begins so you know where we're going. And the whole point is to get to Christ, the climax, the pinnacle of history. And in the moment that Jesus is walking the earth, it is all creator power walking the earth. He's watching a sunrise that he made 
Have you put this in your brain that that ball of burning gas 93 million miles away, Jesus was warmed by it on his face. The same voice that said, how are you doing this morning, Peter, is the same voice that said, sun, and it appeared, and said, moon, and it appeared, and said, universe, and it appeared. The same hands that were crucified are the ones that walked along in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. I just can't fathom then why we think that this God who has said, I will pursue you. If you're the one, I'm leaving the 99 to come for you and nothing's gonna stop me. This is why I can't fathom when God says, when Jesus says, all that the Father gives me are in my hand and I will never let them go. And then we have people out here. Yes, because we have people out here Churches that will say, and you can disagree with me all you want, and just bring Bible, please. But what people say, well, if you, do, if you start denying God, you can lose your salvation. How can I lose something that is God's grip on me? It's not like I'm holding on to God for dear life. God is holding on to me with his life. So when I feel like I'm falling short, God says, you're not going anywhere. You think your sin is gonna pry my creative, all-powerful fingers from you? Never. And yet we say, but Lord, how can you forgive me? He can forgive you because he made you. He made all things and then he came as a human to die for you and rose again to prove to you that you now can be perfect by faith alone. And it's not because of you. We have this addiction, this addiction. And me, we were getting, we were going at it yesterday, right, Eric, at Band of Brothers? We were, we always fight at Band of Brothers. Physically, I started. Because we do this at Band, because it's a men's Bible study. And here's, if you don't know, insight into men's Bible study. Men want to do things. We want to fix things. So we'll talk about the Bible we read through, just a couple verses a week, depending on who's there. And then we say, so what stood out? And then God just sort of hovers. But inevitably, with about 15 to 20 minutes to go, someone says, so what should we do now that we know all this? We should do something. And I'm there yesterday just thinking, I just don't even, like my view of God is so small. If, if we could just stop trying to do something, you guys, stop. Like don't even try to figure out how to be more loving. Don't even try to figure out how to be a better neighbor. Well, the, the Bible says to do that. The Bible says a lot of things that you don't do, that we don't do. We just selectively ignore the ones that we're terrible at so we feel okay about ourselves. I'm here to tell you, you're in worse shape than you think you are. Like the, the Christian myth of myths is that if you do enough, then God will finally be happy with you. The gospel says what you do, action-wise, has no bearing on my love for you. My love for you I showed through Jesus. While you were still an enemy, I came for you. I took all of my power and I put it in a little person. And I came for you. That's how I showed my love for you. I'm not waiting for you to clean yourself up. He'd be waiting a long time. Now granted, he has a long time, but he'd be waiting a longer time. Because we have this flesh and we simply can't fathom this fact that when Paul says, nothing can separate you from the love of God, no spiritual power, no angel, no demon, no principality, life, death, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
We think it's a trite, cute Sunday school story. It is the cosmic ruler of the universe whom Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch, and I'm going to adapt this, of the universe over which the risen Christ does not say, mine, and I own it, and I rule it. There is nothing outside of his control. This is the Yahweh Elohim. This is the God. When he says, I love you, it's coming with the force of a million billion galaxies and stars spanned in his hand. When, when I tell you that Jesus died for you, it's a being who didn't ever have to die. It's a being who had all the authority to do whatever he has wanted always, and he wanted to die for you. This is the remarkableness of this Elohim, this God of ours, that with all that is in him and all that he is, all of the goodness and the light and the truth and the justice and the plans and the seeing and the knowing and the power and the control, all of the power, that he would still somehow want to look at you and say, I'm coming for you, baby, and nothing's going to stop me. So that's where I am today with this. If you want to be a practical Peter, what do I do with this? I just want you to look up at the stars one day this week and think, this whole thing is way bigger than I thought. I want you to look at someone this week that you're just royally angry with and say, well, if that God who knows all the things about me could love me, I might be able to love them. Because the next mystery of this spiritual being who created the cosmos came in the form of Yeshua the Nazareth is that when Jesus resurrected and left, God says, you know that spirit that hovered over the waters in verse 2 of this story, the sapling, when I told you the sapling story and there was that spirit that was like, let me check out the handiwork, God says, I'm going to put him it's going to be crazy, guys. I'm going to put him inside of my people who believe in me. I'm not scared. What do I have to be scared of? What do I have to worry about? There's a thousand things that will annoy me this week. Some political argument will get on my news feed and I'll say, why would they do this? Why would they say that? Some news story is going to come out about another pastor who made another dumb choice. I can't believe pastors do this. Some church is going to close. Some missionary is going to get killed. And we might think, is God in control? Yes. He is patiently extending grace to those of you here who have yet to believe and trust in him only. To not trust in your own ability to be good enough. And then simultaneously he is storing up wrath against the spiritual rebels and those who follow them. So that one day, when history ends, all of the scales will be made right. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You will say that to many, and then to you who are in Christ, you'll cross the threshold. And you may not feel this today, but God's gonna look at you, Derek, and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Whether you do another Bible study, busy yourself, adopt another 10 kids and get a school bus or not. God's going to say, well done, my faithful servant to you. Whether you get married and have kids and memorize the whole Bible. Or whether you flop and fail miserably through life. Because he's already grabbed you, Micah. He's not going to let you go. 
And some of you are here thinking, you're telling a teenager to go flop and fail miserably through life? He's going to do it anyway. I'm just letting him know that God's never going to let him go. Do you want him to sin? No. I get accused of that all the time. Do you, you want people to sin, don't you? No, no, no. I don't want people to sin. I'm just confident they will. But I'm confident in a Savior who died for every sin. I don't want you to sin. But God's going to well done and faithful servant you because of what Jesus did for you and accomplished for you and covered you. When God sees you, when this God sees you, he sees all of your flaws and then all of a sudden they're covered by all of Christ's blood. So when I say that God died for you, this is the God that I mean. Let's pray. Lord, um, <clears throat> you are the God of all, and you hear our prayers. You're holding galaxies in their place, and we call it physics. You threw stars to the ends of where we can see with our current technology. We call it science, and you call it power. There is not a situation in this room or in this world or in this solar system or galaxy or universe over which you are not guiding. There is not one speck of space dust that you are not aware of. There is not one bird on a branch in this entire ecosystem that you are not completely and utterly caring for and you care for us. Lord, there is so much pain in my heart right now because I don't believe these things that I know. Lord, there's pain in people's lives here because they don't have this thing that's maybe in their head. It's not in their heart. It's not in their soul. It's not in the gut of who they are. So I just pray that your spirit would break in. I pray that people who need forgiveness would fall into the cross that you would be a God who created all, knows all, sees all, and then came and died for all. How could it be that the greatest spiritual being in all of everything would call me his son, call you his son or his daughter? And I put my trust in that above all else, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.